Well, um, there's, there's something that resonates with there, isn't there, about a, a, a three-word motto. Uh, I don't know whether some immediately start springing to mind for you. Just do it. Nike want us to get our trainers on and get out there and go for a run. Or what about liberty, equality and fraternity, if you're French, or maybe wine, women and song. Uh, nobody was in any doubt about Tony Blair's priorities at the 1997 uh, election campaign. Education, education, education were his priorities. And nobody was in any doubt about Boris Johnson's election priorities in 2019 either, were they? Get Brexit done. Simple, clear, concise, memorable, if not a little bit controversial. A three-word motto. Well, um, we here in the Diocese of Salisbury had a new bishop last year, Bishop Stephen, come to be the new Bishop of Salisbury. He was immediately tasked when he arrived in the diocese with rethinking through the vision and the mission of the whole of the diocese. And he undertook a whole process of consultation and prayer to think through what it is we should be spending our time on. And they came up with making Jesus known. Making Jesus known. And to be honest, I don't think you can really improve upon that. That's pretty much the summary of, I think, what every church really ought to be spending their time focused on, don't you? It's what the Great Commission uh, calls the disciples to go and, go and make disciples of all the nation. Go and make Jesus known. And so we've been thinking about our mission and our vision uh, as a church, what it ought to be. We've got, if you've been around for a while, you'll know our five priorities, uh, which we spent uh, the, the beginning of, last, of this year um, thinking through. But really good to just have a kind of a summary, a, a snapshot, a, a distillation of where we're going. Because isn't it so easy for every organisation just to kind of drift into all sorts of different directions, find itself off course? And maybe if you're trying to get over there, but you're just a few degrees out, uh, you know, give it time and you'll end up miles away from where it was you were intending to get to. And so we thought that rather than kind of, you know, reinvent the wheel and spend all sorts of extra time uh, uh, undertaking our own process of consultation and prayer, actually, let's just adopt um, the vision and the strapline which the Bishop of Salisbury has set for this diocese. And so we're going to take this up as our own motto, uh, making Jesus known. And our prayer is that that, in the weeks, months, years to come, would be the plumb line uh, that sort of sets uh, what it is as a church we ought to be doing. So if you've got 2 Corinthians 4 open in front of you, there's a brilliant summary of what it is we're supposed to be doing. Have a look down at verses uh, 5 and 6. Paul says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of God. Of Christ. What amazing, amazing thing has happened. Jesus Christ is Lord. We're not interested in preaching ourselves or our own motives, our own agenda. We're interested in preaching about Jesus Christ. That's what this church is, who this church is all about. And uh, it talks about the light 
that God has brought. He's the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. And in the same way, he's spoken the light of knowledge into our hearts, not knowledge of information, knowledge of a person. The light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ, making Jesus known. And so that's what uh, we're going to be focusing on, uh, well, forever. Uh, But particularly, we're going to have a a series thinking that through this Advent. And I know, as we've said, this is not technically Advent yet, but it is Stir Up Sunday. So I think we should pray that God would stir us up to this vision about making Jesus known. And as part of this vision, as we kind of launch out, um, there are two very practical um, developments that I'd love to share with you now um, uh, uh, and, and about which I think we ought to pray that this plumb line would keep us on the straight and narrow of making Jesus known with these two things. So the two things are, so th- the first one is to do with our buildings. And um, there it is coming up behind me now. Um, as many of you will know, we've recently been able to acquire the derelict building down on Cannon Square. So you probably noticed the last building you come by the War Memorial, um, just before you get to the cobbles to turn left to come up to church, the last one on that row of houses, which is all boarded up and derelicts, uh, we've been able to buy. And uh, why have we bought it? Well, for a long time, there's been an acknowledgement that our kind of physical facilities are being somewhat stretched. Um, there's always been a bit of a, 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 a desire to have a kind of a parish office and there was an attempt, you may know, if you've been around for a while, to buy the post office when that was on the, the market. It's not on, it didn't end up happening. Um, but Nettie, our parish administrator, has got a spare room full of printers and photocopies and things like that. Great to have an office for the staff team to kind of be based out of. We're struggling for space with our kids' groups and our youth groups. It's amazing to have so many um, young people here in church. We've now got four groups meeting. You may not um, be aware that that sort of multiplied since we started with one group and then it grew to two, now three and four. Um, we Last Sunday was a record for Sunday Club. There were 37 kids across four different age categories signed into our groups, which is wonderful. But uh, we're kind of creaking for where to put them. Um, and the twos to fives group climbers have been in a marquee on our lawn until a week or two ago and they decided that uh, it was even a little bit too cold and damp for them to continue doing that. So, I mean, that's not quite ideal. We've got teenagers here in the, in the vestry, which is sort of slightly less than ideal. Uh, so we're after some space for those ministries to expand into. And speaking personally, we love hosting all sorts of meetings and pastoral meetings in the rectory, um, but there are one or two noisy members of the uh, uh, family who um, sometimes make that a little bit of a challenge, um, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, bottoms needing wiped and things in the middle of very sort of emotionally sensitive uh, visits and that sort of thing, which are, uh, is a bit of a challenge. So our hope is that uh, that building down there is going to provide an answer to um, the physical constraints on meeting spaces which we've got. But alongside that, um, there's been a desire for at least 10, probably 20, maybe more, those who've been around longer than me will know, um, years to reorder this building. Um, so uh, we love our building, don't we? People always come in if they've never been in here for the first time and they go, wow, what an amazing space. Um, and yet at the same time, we 
recognise that in some ways it's just increasingly not quite fit for purpose. We could do with a loo. Uh, we could do with a slightly more... Um, even this morning, you know, uh, Ruth was sorting out the kind of communion stuff and she has to bring her own water in a flask to be able... because there's no running water in the church. And uh, Wouldn't it be great if we had a bit more of a kitchen set up and we need to sort the lighting and the audiovisual situation out? It'd be lovely to have a bit more flexibility and comfortable seating to rearrange... Uh, the space to be able to use during the week and so on. I don't know whether you ever find yourself like me, uh, visiting other places and poking your head into their church buildings and thinking, oh, wouldn't it be brilliant if we had this in St Michael's? I was in Caution uh, this week and popped my head into St Barnabas. They got a lovely, um, very nicely done, uh, accessible loo at the back of church. I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fantastic? The number of people who come to services and, and, and events and things here who would love to be able not to have to sort of um, hobble down the uh, cobbled path to be able to go to the loo. Um, so as part of, if you go back to the, um, the previous slide, Peter, as part of this vision, we're launching another three-word uh, motto, which is building to serve, the building to serve campaign. Why building to serve? Well, because actually so often in the church's life, it's the cart before the horse. These things go the wrong way round. Very often, uh, a lot of church activity is there to serve the building. Uh, I was, somebody asked me, not this week, the week before, uh, I, I met them, there was a funeral here, and somebody afterwards said to me, oh, how long have you been in the parish? I said, oh, a couple of years or so. And they said, are you well supported? And I wasn't quite sure what they meant by that question. I said, what, what do you mean? And they, it, what, it turned out what they meant was, is the church, by which they meant this building, not the people, uh, financially sustainable? Um, and behind that question was the fact that in their village, sadly, they were really struggling to keep the doors open and the lights going, dwindling congregation and so on. Now, I completely understand why uh, they would ask that question. But if you think about it, in some ways, that's completely the, the wrong way around, isn't it? Because actually, we're not here uh, to serve this building. This building's here to serve us. The reason why we're here this morning is because of verse 6. God has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's why we're here, because we love Jesus. We know him. We want to make him known. And this building is a wonderful, wonderful provision which is there to serve that mission and that vision. So we wanted to call this campaign Building to Serve because in order to keep the vision and the mission, the plumb line by which our building project is undertaken. We want our physical facilities, our bricks and mortar, to be invested in, to be fit to serve the next generation of worship in this town as we make Jesus known. So it's going to be in two phases, uh, which is the next uh, slide. And we'll say more about this in the, in the kind of the weeks to come, about how we can get involved, about what it's going to look like as an opportunity to have your say, because I'm sure we've all got all sorts of uh, input we'd love to have into this. In fact, if you go on, you can see there's a website link there. You can find on the website more information and an opportunity both to give. We'll say a bit more about financially how this is going to work in the weeks to come. And in the new year, we're going to have uh, a gift day to lean into this financially as a congregation if we buy into this vision. And, uh, but it also gives you the chance to click a thing which says, have your say. Tell us what you think the exciting things are about this vision and some of the challenges as well. Is that exciting? I hope you find it. That is exciting. I'm really, really excited, slightly terrified um, about undertaking this uh, sort of next chapter. But that's, that's the first practical thing. And the second practical thing, if we click off that, Peter, um, is the move to having two Sunday morning services. 
Now, um, as we look around, you might have noticed we're getting increasingly full uh, in here on a Sunday morning, which is absolutely wonderful. The congregation has more than, ever slightly more than doubled um, since we reopened again after COVID, which is fantastic. And the kids' work, of course, has much more than, than doubled. That's um, increased massively, which is a wonderful problem to have. And we might think, well, is, it, is that a problem? Well, actually, in some ways, yes, it is, because um, there's been all sorts of research uh, at, that's shown that there exists something called the 80% rule, or the 80% principle, which is that as churches grow, uh, churches grow until the physical space gets to be about three-quarters or four-fifths uh, occupied. And beyond that, church growth tends to stagnate. And perhaps part of the reason for that is that if we're new or we're just exploring church, it's wonderful to have new people here this morning. And, uh, uh, but if, if you're new, what tends to happen, I think, is that people pluck up the carriage. I don't know anybody there. I don't know whether I'm going to enjoy it. So I'll sneak into the back uh, and hopefully be rather anonymous. And uh, nobody will talk to me. And I'll turn up late and leave slightly early. And if it wasn't awful, maybe I'll come back next week. Um, but the trouble is, of course, actually, as the church gets increasingly full, then the chances of having to have a conversation with somebody who will, will ask me how I am, which, of course, uh, many of us, that's what we're desperate for, which is wonderful when that does happen. But other people actually just want to just come and see what's it all about. Be a little bit like Zacchaeus we were thinking of last week, who just wanted to see but not be seen. And so many people are like that. And so when the church building actually gets to be uh, too full, then growth stagnates. And so uh, what we're going to do to solve that problem is, and the PCC have um, had a little bit of a discussion about this, is to multiply our services. Uh, can't that growth continue? The church has, has, has grown a lot. Should we expect it to continue? Well, in lots of ways, I don't see that there's any reason why it wouldn't keep going. There's lots of people in Melksham, 30-odd thousand people who we would love to see Jesus made known to. Um, and yet what we want to try to do is remove any bottlenecks and constrictions and barriers and obstacles in order to Jesus to be made known. So we're going to have two uh, Sunday morning services. The primary reason, as I say, for that is to increase capacity. The secondary but related reason is what I suppose you might call style or churchmanship or musical preference or tradition. Now, at the moment, um, if you're a regular here, you'll know that our church services are something of a hybrid. Uh, they're not quite sort of traditional Eucharistic Anglican uh, services, and they're not quite uh, contemporary and informal praise and worship services. Uh, they're sort of somewhere in the middle, and one week we tend to have a little bit more of a traditional feel, and we have the organ being played, and another week it might be a little bit more contemporary, and maybe there's the guitar. And now, while some of us enjoy that mixture, uh, the overwhelming feedback that I get from people, and there's normally a conversation like this most weeks from somebody who's got a preference in one direction or the other, is that m most of us have got a pretty clear preference uh, which way we would like the services to feel. Um, but so, so actually, rather than kind of not knowing which it's going to be week to week, having one service as more contemporary and one service as more traditional more important than serving our preferences, because ultimately, you know, we've all got to submit our preferences for the good of everybody else. Um, much more important than that is, is the predictability of knowing week by week what the services are going to feel like. 
Because say, for example, uh, you wanted to invite your friend or your neighbour or your family member or your colleague along to church here at St Michael's. Well, if you were expecting to invite them along to a lovely traditional service where you knew there were going to be well-known hymns played beautifully on the organ and there was going to be the familiar liturgy and prayers of a traditional service, and it was the wretched vicar up at the front with his guitar singing all sorts of modern songs that you've never heard before, you might be horrified and think, I, don't want to, I wouldn't inv- you know, invite this friend along uh, when that's the risk that that might happen. And equally and oppositely, if you really like uh, the more modern and contemporary uh, informal feel and you come along and actually it's a service which just feels a little bit like you're not able to connect with it, um, then maybe that's going to be a barrier to making Jesus known as well. So hopefully by multiplying the services and offering people the choice, as people very often tell me, uh, you can please some of the people, what is it? You can please all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can never please all the people all the time. So um, let's give the choice and, uh, and, and have uh, both. So a little bit of detail to be worked out on exactly how it's going to be work, but the proposal at the moment is to have a nine o'clock traditional communion uh, service every week. The, the clergy will robe, will preach from the pulpit, will use the communion table. There won't be a screen, there'll be a nice service sheet printed out with well-known classic Anglican hymns at nine o'clock. And then there will be a, a more informal and contemporary, not communion every week, um, once a month, and a bit more of a chance to sort of learn some new songs and that sort of thing at 10.30. A bunch of us uh, are going to head off to New Wine, the Christian festival in the summer. So have that kind of feel a little bit more. In the background, I know that everybody, people will have all sorts of questions about this, and what I'd encourage, come and grab me, send me an email, book a time in to come and talk, speak to the church wardens. I'd love to, us to be talking together as we navigate these, uh, this, these changes as we go into the new year. Uh, but we'll say more about that in the weeks to come. One of the questions that we might be wanting to ask is, in the background, what about St Andrew's? Um, because we're talking about capacity and multiplication and wanting to make Jesus known, why go in the direction of starting a second morning service at St Michael's rather than leaning into one of the resources we already have, which is a building uh, in St Andrew's? And um, for some of us, that might be news to us this morning that we're we're part of a group of churches, which includes St Michael's here, St Andrew's, which is in the forest area of town over by Co-op, and Beanacre up on the road towards Chippenham, St Barnabas. And uh, at Easter, we took the difficult um, decision to pause the services there. And we're pursuing uh, closing that building. And we might be thinking, well, why, why are we doing that? Why aren't we sort of trying to invest in, in St Andrews? Well, it's a good question. And it doesn't just boil down to money, but partly it is a financial question. Um, St Andrews, the building, is physically in a bad state of repair. Um, the building requires several maintenance items that the uh, five-yearly inspection has thrown up, which we need to spend on the building, which taken together would total six figures uh, just to keep the building in the state that it's currently in. Before we'd undertaken any improvements, removing the pews to make the space more spe- flexible, putting a kitchen or a loo or building any extra space. Uh, and also in the background is the knowledge that even if we spent that money, we know that the roof is going to need some really major attention, attention, if not a complete overhaul, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, So the challenge that St Andrews has is that it was built on the eve of the invention of the motor car. 
Um, and the reality is, of course, many of the, of the existing St. Andrew's congregation actually drove to St. Andrew's, and I suspect many or most of us, just by way of show of hands out of interest, how many of us drove here this morning or were driven? Just stick a hand up if you got in the car to come to church. That's a pretty good number of us. Um, so the challenge that St. Andrew's has got, apart from the fact that it doesn't have the facilities of a loo or a kitchen or a hall to expand into for kids' groups or anything like that, is that actually it's got no car park and it's less than a mile from here, which does have all of those things. And so um, the church leadership really felt that whilst we could uh, theoretically attempt to raise the money to sort St Andrews out, actually we didn't feel it'd be sensible to try to undertake two major fundraising campaigns for separate church buildings at the same time. Uh, actually, let's see this as an opportunity to come together and to focus on the direction of the parish for the future. So there'll probably be more to say about that. Come and find me if you, if you want to talk that, that through a little bit more. Those are the two things. I wonder how we're feeling. Are we feeling exciting? Are we feeling daunted? I'm feeling both. So just with the remaining couple of minutes, uh, with 2 Corinthians 4 open, what encouragement is there for us as we embark upon this vision to make Jesus known in all sorts of different ways, but those two practical ones. Maybe it feels a little bit overwhelming. How on earth are we going to do it all? How are we going to raise the money? Where are we going to get all the people to fill all those rotors? I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling terrified. But Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And he repeats that lovely little phrase in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. And to lose heart is, literally, it's to be discouraged. Um, the word courage comes from the old word core, Latin and French, meaning heart. And to be discouraged is to lose heart. To be encouraged is to, is to take heart. So Paul says, don't lose heart, be encouraged. What's the encouragement for us this morning? Uh, there's lots of encouragement in this chapter, but what's one thing we can take away as we go out into our week and as we start to pray about this vision? Well... The encouragement is this. We've already got the most important thing that we need in order to make Jesus known. That's the, that's the encouragement I want us to take away. We're going to need all sorts of resources, aren't we? We're going to need money. We're going to need people. We're going to need energy. We're going to need all sorts of things. But the most important thing of all that we need is already in place. Have a look at verse 7. And look at that lovely word, treasure. We have this treasure. Treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The word treasure, it's a, it's a nice word to say, isn't it? Treasure. And it means literally, I didn't realise this, in Greek the word is thesaurus, like the book with all the synonyms in, because literally the word treasure means a storehouse of valuables a receptacle of important things. And a, and a thesaurus is a, is a storehouse of all sorts of different words to be used in different situations. So that's what the word treasure means. Think of, we used to have a tithe, I can just see it, what used to be the tithe barn, where the church used to bring in all of the valuable things for the ministry in the parish. The word treasure is the word that we'll hear this Christmas as the wise men uh, come to Jesus and it says they worshipped him, they opened their treasures for him as they gave their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Think of Jesus teaching, don't store up your 
treasure on earth, but store up treasure in heaven. Or teaching on the kingdom of God is like treasure buried, hidden in a field. Go and sell all you've got. You've got to have it, this treasure. Well, Paul says, verse 7, we've already got it. We have this treasure, the most valuable thing that we could have. What is the treasure? He's referring back to verse 6. The treasure is the knowledge of Jesus. It's God who said, who gave us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The treasure is knowing Jesus. Uh, Think how you came to acquire that treasure. Uh, Think back to your own story. If you know Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, how did you become a Christian? What's your testimony? You know, maybe you were brought up in church, going along to Sunday club like these kids. You've just always known Jesus. Or or maybe you went on a a Christian summer holiday camp. They've got the new uh, Messenger magazine is coming out in the next week or so. There's an interview with Theo on there. He gives his testimony. He became a Christian on a, uh, he had a a holiday camp in the summer to go to where Jesus was made known to him. Or maybe think back to um, sharing testimonies at Easter. Uh, Maybe you tried different religions and you've explored all sorts of different knowledge but you found that none of them were really the light that you were after, and then you came to experience Jesus. Maybe you did an Alpha course. Maybe that was how you you came to the knowledge of Christ. Well, actually, what this is saying is that although all those things might be true, the real reason why we have this treasure is because God's given it to us. We haven't illuminated ourselves. Uh, Paul says in verse 6, God said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember back to creation. Let there be light. And there was. And in just the same way, God has spoken that light of knowledge into our hearts. He's the one who's given it to us, and he's the one who's providing the resources. We don't need to worry about ourselves. We might look around and think, well, I'm not perfect. You know, maybe I haven't got the gifts or the resources or the money. You know, as we lean into a vision like this, maybe there'll be other people who'll be more useful as part of this vision. But what Paul says is it's not the pot which matters It's what's in the pot, and we've all got a role to play, because if we know Jesus, we've already got the treasure in the clay jar, and sometimes the cracks in the pot make the treasure shine all the brighter. Which is why Paul can then say, verse 1, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. We've all got that ministry. We might think of our ministers, maybe it's Francis and Annie and Celia and me, we're the, the ministers of the church. Well, no, actually, we're all ministers in that sense. We're all servants of the church, which is what the word minister means. So I want us to take away from from this morning the fact that God is calling us to this wonderful vision to make Jesus known. We're going to need all sorts. It's going to be hard. Um, We'll come back next week to look at verse 8, where he says we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Yes, it's going to be difficult, but God has given us everything we need. We've got the most valuable thing that we could require this morning, treasure in jars of clay. So let's pray.